Ventures, the deal experts. Welcome to the Pharma Ventures podcast, where we talk to the experts about all things deal-related in healthcare and beyond. I'm Adrian Dorps of Pharma Ventures. In the current market, what are the challenges in drug development and supply, and do they present opportunities to CROs and CDMOs? Joining me on this show are... Steve Garland, microbiologist by education, having worked in the biologics manufacturing uh, and supply field for over 35 years. Frank Dollard, I'm a chemist by qualification. I've worked for more than 45 years with major pharma in most countries of, of the world, including a long time in the US, specializing in supply chain and supply chain issues. Jansen Jacob, I'm uh, an ex-scientist, a VP at Pharma Ventures, and I've been working at Pharma Ventures for over 16 years. So we've got a full room of the keenest minds here today um, to talk about uh, this particular topic. Let's get straight to the meat of it. And um, we referenced supply chain challenges. So Frank, maybe I can come to you first. What are the challenges that these guys are currently facing? Well, the, the, the big challenge of the moment really is trying to get control back over the supply chain in key areas, the production of raw materials, active ingredients, APIs, for example, uh, finished product, many of which have been moved for financial reasons to make them cheaper to the Far East, particularly India and China. And now we're too reliant upon that. You add in then uh, disturbances such as the COVID pandemic, you add in the potential warlike situation developing in some of these markets, and the fact that populations in the West are growing older. The baby boomer generation is needing lots of medication. Governments are trying to squeeze down cost. Um, so there's a squeeze coming from the demand side and also a squeeze coming from the supply side. And people are suffering. There are people who can't get their medication in the EU and in the US for sure, and they need it. So are you saying that, that in order to maintain the quality standards that are expected for pharmaceutical products... Um, that the current model can't deliver those uh, enough of them because we've cut corners or cut costs by shipping things to where labour is cheaper or it, it's easier to do. Is that, that what's happening? Yeah, the main driver for, for moving products, shall we say, to the east is to reduce manufacturing costs, cost of goods. Now, in some cases, companies took the decision to put those products into subcontractors, let's say, or third parties who didn't have the right development or execution standards and couldn't maintain levels of quality required by the big Western markets, namely the EU and the US. I've actually been and done a lot of remedial work in these countries to help these people learn our Western standards. And many of them have responded and are doing very well. But there's still a problem with people making products for the Western markets which don't meet Western standards. And there are many examples recently of that happening. And so this is, is this an example of um, buy cheap, buy twice? Yes, I think it's a short-sighted decision in the first place. But you must remember that many products which we moved to the East were, had become commodities. There wasn't much money in them. The, 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 the profit margin in for Western companies wasn't huge. They moved it to supply the product and continue the service, of course, but also to make sure they could still, it was still viable financially for them. So a lot of what moved was considered old-fashioned or not needed. But now, of course, things have changed. They're needed in great quantities because of the pandemic and other reasons. Supply chain squeezed and people are demanding the medicine, quite rightly. Mm -hmm. 
Do, was it was it a, a let's not say failure, but was it the pandemic caught people unawares? Is this the major driver for it? Is not unpreparedness, or I think it was the straw that broke the camel's back? Yeah. It had been happening for a while, largely because of inability to supply, because of quality issues and regulatory issues. Right, but the driver was profitability. Absolutely, and big farmer. I was part of it, yeah. Right, and what? So, what's what proportion of the cost of a drug is the actual or the the, the component parts you talk about? Well, it depends on which the drug is, of course. It's not right, an easy right, answer. Right. Yeah. But most generic companies are trying to make a margin of a gross margin of forty-five to fifty percent. That's become extremely difficult. If you net off selling expenses, admin costs, you know, they become marginally profitable. That's why they moved out to these cheaper countries. And now we're having to pay the price for that. This this will probably be a revelation to anybody who's a layperson listening to this and thinking, but pharmaceutical companies charge huge amounts of money for their, their expensive drugs and make a fortune. So sh- surely they can't be scrabbling around, saving a penny here and there. Sadly, they don't all. The, the companies that are driven by research have a colossal amount of money they need to make that research. And from that have been some developed some very, very important drugs for the, the, the health and welfare of the nations we're talking about. So it's, it's, it's not all a simplistic view. So big profits can fund big research and big innovations. Um, the people who supply by volume most of the market, the generic businesses, they need to make a living. They can't do it for nothing. Mm-hmm. The, the business is not sustainable, so they need margins which will fund their investment and fund their recruitment and fund their success. Is this the pharma companies themselves? I mean, they're paying for it, or are they paying third parties? You said they're paying third parties. Yeah, con- contractors, other companies in different countries, yes, or CDMOs. And that's because pharma decided whenever that they would outsource this and not make things themselves anymore? Things happen, really. One is that we need to reduce the cost, and the other one, pharma, big pharma thinks these commodity products aren't really the, 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 the thing. You know, they, they're, in, in, they're really involved in pure research of elegant, effective molecules, not bringing medicines to market which are 30, 40 years old. That was not part of their ethos, if you like. So are we, are we sort of drawing a line between the very innovative drugs we hear about these days, the, the immuno-oncology drugs that are making great inroads into extending people's lives, and the sort of fairly standard medications that people are getting on a script from their physician or they're buying in Boots or Walmart or wherever. Yeah, so-called small molecules, yeah. the latter category, they're important. But the, the recent years have meant that they're not very profitable, but somebody has to make them. Right. They are commodities. Right. Because lots of patients rely on them still. Uh, absolutely. Very much the so. majority of medication is still, by volume, is still low. They're not the sexy. It's still those, those, that, group of, that group of compounds, yes. You've highlighted the big problem there. What, what's the solution? The solution is, to me at least, uh, in, in this discussion, the solution is to differentiate those compounds, those molecules, which will self-sustain from an investment point of view. Big, re, big pharma, strong research, clever molecule, does a lot of good. The, the financials will work out in almost every case if it's licensed and it's effective as the manufacturer will say. The problem is the commodities. The commodities we rely upon the East, again, shall we say, to supply. There's not much money in them. Governments don't want to pay money for them, especially in, in, in the EU and the US, healthcare providers in the US. Um, so we need to realise which are strategically the most important I mean, we don't need many thousands of everyday medicines. We need a selection which cover most illnesses. And um, it's fairly easy to identify those. In fact, the EU has begun that process. There are various study groups who are looking at what is strategically important. 
Um, earlier on, Janssen told me that there's been some similar work in France, I think led by President Macron. Mm-hmm. Um, so those, those strategic compounds, we need to bring that capacity back close or in the market where they're consumed. Now, it doesn't mean that every market, every country has to have bulk cephalosporin or penicillin plants. It doesn't mean that at all. But within a geographic or economic region, we need to have several resources identified which will allow us to produce those molecules reliably and, 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 and consistently, even if there's another war somewhere. Right. So there's... And is this what we're seeing? There's there's a repatriation of of manufacturing for for key assets, key drugs, back to the the market. We're seeing some of it. It's a trickle. I mean, people get very excited about batteries for cars. Yeah. Gigafactories. Yeah. Um, the same concept applies to the need to supply certain pharmaceuticals, antibiotics. Sandoz have invested a huge amount in Austria, fifty million euros. The Austrian government is investing fifty as well. That's a good long-term strategic investment. If you ask most patients what they want, do you want the batteries in your car to come from here or China, or do you want a, an assured supply of medication for you and your family? I, I think I know what they'll say, mm-hmm. and I think you do too. Well, I mean, we, we, we saw it during the pandemic. People yeah. wanted their, their, um, their vaccine, and there was a little bit of a sort of furore when there was let's call it a spat between the EU and the UK saying vaccines being made in Europe couldn't be shipped to the UK, even that, that I mean, that it was a storm in a teacup and it all got resolved, but it's to avoid those kind of things. And does that mean that the, the cost of these is going to inevitably go up? Yeah, yes, I do think there'll be an inevitable increase in cost because we've sourced it to the lowest cost producer today, who is unreliable in many cases. Now, in, the increase in cost will not necessarily be taken directly by the consumer, Because if governments identify strategic, important, long-term manufacturing needs for these molecules, these strategic molecules, then they will have to shoulder some of the costs. Otherwise, it won't happen. People will not be reimbursed at the higher level, perhaps. People will not want to spend as much of their own money on that kind of thing. So I think there'll be an increase. There has to be. It'll be shared in the end. But the government has to have a stake over and above trying to ratchet down the price of pharma products supplied by the industry, which is what they try to do normally, the normal business model. Right, and one, one just, just sort of final point on this area. The driver was profitability and, and obviously reducing labour costs and manufacturing costs was a way to achieve that. And, I, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I've heard recently that as countries develop, of course, their labour costs go up because everybody wants to be paid more. And now there's a, a, the, it's not China and the Far East and other countries where things are being manufactured or they're moving away from there. And I've heard Mexico is a destination now where things are going to be manufactured because the relative labour costs are cheaper. Are we going to see that? Are we going to see all the drug manufacturers port to somewhere else? I I think that's beginning to happen. I think it's happened certainly with Mexico for supply to the US in the main, but also countries like Vietnam and Malaysia. They're they're positioning themselves to be the next low-cost manufacturing uh, region. Which, which, it, which is good, but it doesn't solve the other problems we've talked about, the stretched supply chain, yes. the potential of conflict in those areas. So it needs a blend of each. There'll be some products which never move to the West again, but they're not going to be part of that critical strategic list. Are we stuck in a, a continual sticking plaster mode that each time it gets a little bit too expensive, well, we'll, we'll just fix that by pushing it over there? I think there, there is an element of that. but I, And with regards to the point that Frank made regarding uh, supply chain and, and um, France identifying certain molecules as critical for them, 
I mean, there will be an, uh, a need for com- countries or governments to make decisions and invest in certain reliable sources of production, whether that be within their own national boundaries or in partnership with with uh, similar like-minded countries. So I, I agree that there may be waves of uh, manufacturing moving from certain countries to uh, to others. And interestingly, the other day I was ask, uh, talking to a, a CMO and I was asking him whether he thought such a move to Africa would happen in, in in the next few decades or whatever. And he said, unlikely, but it's a, it's a question for debate. But I, I think there's an element of, of evaluating that risk. There is a balance between having enough cheaply manufactured uh, products and having control over the reliability of that supply. And that's a trade-off. So what wins in the end, cost or quality? I don't think that should be a choice. Quality should always be number one. And that is, in fact, one of the reasons why production is is being moved towards from the east to the west. An interesting example, we heard uh, that Intas, FDA had produced an import alert for some of the products manufactured at that plant. And these products are under short supply in the U.S. Having said that, even though they have this import alert, the FDA has excluded 24 products from that list (laughs) because they can't do without it. So. They want the quality, but they, at the moment they can't do without having those productions. But there must be a time for remedial actions there to improve quality. Back to, to Adrian's uh, question, quality or cost has to be quality every time, and cost is uh, a consideration, but quality every time. The, the regulators think only of one thing. The regulators being the people who come to these third-party plans The regulators care only about the safety of their domestic country's consumers. They don't care about anything else. So it's important to remember that. And and therefore, the product will have to be efficacious and meet the pharmacopoeia standard, whether it be the US pharmacopoeia or the European pharmacopoeia. But don't don't let me give the impression that all the bad companies are in the East and all the good companies are in the West. (laughs) It's certainly not the case. There are many still bad companies in Western markets. They're being sorted out gradually. The supply chain generally is problematic in certain places. It's not smooth. Remember, though, there's a number of companies that aren't... I mean, the way we're talking now is that there is... It, the whole component has... or the whole product has to be manufactured in one one area. There are companies manufacturing actives within the Western world, shipping it to the East uh, and fill finishing there and then shipping back because the expertise for fill finish in certain areas, um, Nova Nordisk for one, is they have a very large fill finish facility in China. So active made elsewhere on a variety of sites in which allows business continuity and also uh, supply uh, for best cost uh, efficiencies there. Still economically viable to do that or economically cost effective. Yes, because otherwise, as you said, Adrian, every few years, and I've experienced it, companies will up and move to where uh, it appears to be more cost beneficial for the next five-year period. Right. And that is cost prohibitive when you have to build a facility, staff it, uh, train the staff, and then run it for a short period of time and then up and move again. So, you know, expertise... Focus on that and keep it in that area. You're listening to the Pharma Ventures podcast, where I'm discussing the opportunities and challenges in drug supply manufacturing with Steve Garland, Frank Dollard, and Janssen Jacob. 
We haven't really talked about biologics um, and and what this cold cost quality and where things are made axis, what it means for biologics, which a lot of which are the new innovative compounds. And Steve, that that's more an area you're you're very familiar with. Uh, very true. Um, I kept quiet because it's quite different. The, in particular, Brexit and COVID impacted the supply chain for the biologics industry. Uh, what's happened since circa 2018 is more and more focus has been on speed to market of ATMPs uh, and hence to that single-use disposable technology to be used where possible. Um, and a lot of those materials, when it comes to supply chains, uh, have become from single source or maybe two suppliers. Along came COVID and everybody uh, wanted to get into uh, vaccine manufacture. All of the uh, supplies of absolutely fundamental things like filtration uh, units, single-use filters, ultrafiltration devices, bags for fermenters, for storing product in all single-use gamma-irradiated plastics. Uh, the demand was so high that uh, we're still looking, in some cases, up to a year's lead time because they come from specific manufacturers. Um, this is beginning to improve by suppliers manufacture, or producing more manufacturing space. However, the corollary of that is that uh, manufacturers, uh, the end product manufacturers, have all had to increase their inventory uh, of raw materials and components, uh, single-use components, uh, in their warehouses, which in turn has put a huge cost into the business, which people hadn't anticipated and companies hadn't anticipated in the first place. So inventories have gone from a few low tens to $100,000, pounds, whatever currency you want to use, into now low millions of sitting in warehouses uh, with all the uh, ancillary uh, challenges of shelf life, quality control of them, storage conditions, etc., and additional storage space, which adds cost to the end user. That has the, the impact been then the opposite of what was intended? <laughs> Rather than reducing cost, we've increased it. Uh, yeah, but it, literally it has increased, but it's been, it hasn't been a deliberate thing. It has, uh, and therefore people are now looking for uh, how to reduce costs elsewhere. So hence the focus now within biologics is increase product activity out of processes, either through at the molecular level or at the cellular level or at the process uh, area so that the cost can be controlled in that area. And this is one area where governments could also step in because it might be impractical for every company to have increased inventory sitting in warehouses, maybe a pooled approach where there are larger uh, warehouses supplying multiple companies may be a way forward with, where government is intervening to support that activity. And also maybe within companies as well, groups of companies could partner and have warehousing so that they could share the inventory. So the risk is shared between companies. That is exactly what's happened. And what we found is that uh, companies have unofficially grouped but are prepared to help each other, uh, recognising that the components uh, as of single-use type, even chemicals, uh, all come from similar, uh, similar approved suppliers. And I think it's fair to say that a number of uh, companies within the uh, biopharma side have grouped 
and are quite happy to, I'll use the word in inverted commas, happy, but uh, happy to support where necessary, depending on nobody wants to see batches of product fail or be rejected because of lack of uh, uh, raw materials or components. So absolutely, we all in the industry have an idea of who uh, use the same components and good relationships between uh, companies so that we can actually share uh, materials as and when we need to. So there's a collaborative effort at the company level. Uh, is, has it got to a stage where governments across borders can manage to, to, to do this or is that, is that a political step too far? I think that's a political step too far. Not to say that it couldn't happen, but I really feel that uh, what's happened at the moment is that companies are helping each other rather than yeah. escalating it where potentially it gets more complicated, more bureaucratic and just runs into difficulties. I think th- that would happen because you're seeing examples in France uh, looking to support. You've seen the Sandoz example in, uh, in Austria for antibiotic production, the Austrian government supporting it. With all of these individual countries supporting in some way, I think at some point the governments will realize that there would be more efficiencies if they pooled their resources and did something together. So it might be a long way away, but I think we are on the right track for that to happen. Absolutely right, Johnson. That it is happening and it is important that the government plays a part. A personal opinion of mine is that we don't want the government intruding into day-to-day management or running of these operations, it'll, it'll be messed up, putting it politely. Um, the government can be helpful in terms of investment grant, relief on the balance sheet for inventories, for example, and help uh, in acknowledging there'll be write-offs because inventories will be higher, you know, how they are treated for tax purposes. So it's not just a simplistic, come and give us money and come and help us run this. It's what we, what we need is something quite specific and targeted, rather like we've seen good examples of in the recent past. And also, I think the, the, the bold steps need to be taken by pharma companies themselves. And uh, and one example is Noah Nordisk, you know, deciding to spend $2.3 billion in API manufacture in Denmark. I mean, you would have thought API manufacture, something that was primarily done in, in China and India, now thinking about API manufacture in, in the West, in Denmark, I mean, that's that's unbelievable. I'm sure the it's, government it's, is It's a great them. example, Janssen, a great example of what needs to happen. But just two data points, which, which I think are very revealing. Um, this is from a report produced in November 22, Medicines for Europe. It's a good, well, well-balanced and understood report. Only 25% of API production for the European generics market is done in Europe at the moment. For innovative medicines, the, the Novo Nordisk medicine is 77%. So the issue is probably not the 77, it's the 25. 75% is produced elsewhere. Mm-hmm. What are we going to do about that? Of the 75%, some will be junk. We don't need it. It's the marginal products. But many of them will be core to the strategic list we mentioned earlier. And is this where people like yourselves and Pharma Ventures and, and others, is this where we can be, be useful to the to the companies and processes? Where, where do we come in? We're all advisors here. Yeah, well, I think apart from the uh, technical advice, which we can certainly offer in terms of how one were to manufacture the product, including, for example, even tax breaks and that kind of help from governments around the world, we're very good at negotiating and settling and structuring deals. And I've worked personally with this with this group on, on many uh, projects which have involved people looking for capacity, people wanting to offload capacity, matching those people, 
not necessarily with each other directly, but seeing an opportunity and, and getting these people together and creating a deal which benefits. And in some cases, we've seen plants which are no longer needed and maybe relatively old-fashioned have been taken and used in a different way. Um, there's been investment in productivity and even in some of the expensive labour markets in Europe, for example, Germany, you know, productivity has been revolutionised by people with sensible, structured investment, uh, buying what they thought was maybe unloved by the previous owner, which is now almost a jewel in the crown. So there are examples of this. We can help that happen. We've got excellent databases. We've got lots of contacts. We have supported in the strategic decision of over 40 different facilities. We have reviewed those facilities, their capabilities, and have advised the, the those uh, owners of those facilities on, on the future direction of these uh, operations. And with regards to technical uh, diligence and, and uh, review of their strategy, we are capable of reviewing how their operations stand compared to what's happening with their competitors. And we are able to advise our clients on appropriate steps that they could take in either improving quality or changing their their the strategy slightly to to be more efficient in their operations. So these are kinds of of services that Pharma Ventures provides uh, to uh, clients. Are these these companies that we in Pharma Ventures work with? Are they approaching us from the angle the, the old model angle, which is I need to save money, I need to cut costs. I'm thinking of offloading this facility and moving my production to the Far East, are we entering and saying, well, yeah, but have you considered X or have you considered Y? And are there are other models you can you could look at, which, to your point, Frank, about the German site where the, where the sound investment model actually revolutionised its manufacturing and, and did something different. Are we playing that role? We, we are indeed, yes. We, we, we've, we've, we've had those discussions initially as a, a peripheral part of the project to help them, please, can you get rid of my plan? We've, that task, we've helped them. And we also help the purchaser. We can help be specific around the opportunity that these transactions can can bring. Bring best practice, as Janssen said. We, we know what best practice is in these industries. We know a lot about the background regulatory. I mean, by regulatory, I mean tax, profitability, earnings, regulations, as well as quality regulations, which, which can sometimes offer up or open up a different avenue. Uh, in terms of how the plant could be used. One thing is for sure, there, there, are, there are very few people looking to get rid of plants in the EU and the US these days and, and move it to the east. It, the, the trend of the tide is in the other direction. Um, but even so, there are plenty of people looking to change and reconfigure the networks. Opportunities are arising uh, all the time. There's you know, several big companies, uh, global companies, are looking to reduce capacity, reduce expense, and that's beginning to show in some of the discussions we're having. Right. So it's much more sophisticated than just say a real estate play. It's it's yeah. um, this is is more about yeah. um, as we've, we've said in other areas. It's what we do here is is, is stand astride both the economics and the yes. investment side of things, and the science and technical from a manufacturing and drug supplies, yeah. and can meld the two and say this is. This is the thing to do to get the best economic outcome yeah. for facility A, facility B, or, or technology A, technology B. That, that's kind of what we do. You know, 15 years ago, I was personally involved in selling a couple of plants for a, a dollar each. I mean, that sounds absurd, but we just wanted to get out of it. Mm -hmm. Things have changed dramatically in the meantime. You wouldn't be giving them away, which is what we did. Um, these days, you've been making use of the asset 
threw a new owner through a third party. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, the number of biologics plants now that are changing and or are being looked to change and be repurposed, uh, especially now if there's clean room space in them that have currently or that had originally been used for monoclonal production or things like that, now being looked. Is it suitable for um, ATMPs? Is it suitable for personalised medicine? Uh, geographic location? Absolutely everything. So, and what is the regulatory history of that facility? If somebody can buy a brown or acquire a brownfield site that has uh, a regulatory uh, history and all the uh, compliance associated with that uh, relating to the equipment, relating to the facility, the utilities on that, then it's quicker and simpler uh, in many cases, not every case by a long way, but in many cases to repurpose that facility for uh, a, a different uh, field and the uh, the divester can often get a much better price, uh, realise a much better uh, price, not the one dollar or one pound that happened several years ago. These days there are realistic uh, uh, values left in a number of these facilities that can be repurposed. You um, raise another topic there, Steve, personalised medicine, which by its very nature seems that if you need personalised medicine, you want personalised manufacture, and that's not the big factors making pills or biologics than in in the far east it's it's we're not all going to be traveling there to get our personal medicine so what does what does that mean for for drug supply okay i think hit on a good point there Originally, or even very recently, it was felt that one needed, for personalised medicine, you needed the uh, clinic and the clinicians adjacent to the manufacturing uh, site so that biopsy could be taken in the case of a, a cancer therapy or whatever, and then immediately taken to the laboratories where the uh, analysis could be done and any AI work done and then on from there to manufacture uh, any of the gene therapy ATMP products to go back into the clinic. What, is, uh, what we've seen is there's less, uh, and this is from uh, actual experience, there is less uh, requirement. Yes, there is a need to do, operate very quickly, but if you can have a distribution hub that works well, uh, in the case of, uh, I mean, the Charles River facility in Memphis is next to a distribution hub, DHL distribution hub, that can shift material uh, to and from very, very rapidly, 24-7. And similarly, uh, I've seen biopsy samples come from Australia, from the clinician, come to the UK, be... Uh, uh, produced into drug product, shipped back to uh, Australia for the clinic. And all of that can occur within six to eight weeks, which in reality, it's not going to be a lot less if you have it uh, adjacent. So at the moment, it's looking as though you don't need to build new facilities adjacent to hospitals. Uh, great if you can, and if there's the money and the governments can afford it uh, and can do that, but it's not essential by any means. With regards to personalized medicine, it, the technology is still evolving. We haven't got to a stage where we have a, a, a well-recognized way of producing ATMPs. So from that point of view, we're quite a further away from establishing efficient manufacturing processes and facilities for making, making these ATMPs. 
Absolutely. Totally, totally agree with you there. And I think it'll be a long time or a significant time before that is clear. At the moment, uh, I think everybody's working in, in their own field of expertise. So analytics are developing for these. The manufacturing CDMO type style uh, and systems are working. And on top of that, the logistics, uh, worldwide logistics for being able to ship biological samples for analysis and uh, product back to to and from the clinic uh, are happening. So I do believe you're right. It'll take a while before this settles. When we do get there, will we see history repeat itself and then manufacturers will be looking around for the place where they can do it cheapest and shove it out there? I don't believe so this time. I think it'll be a case whereby I think it's where the expertise is and uh, how it can be done most efficiently, not necessarily cheap. We back to the question a little while ago, quality or cost. In these cases, I think quality and speed as opposed to cost are going to be more important. And is that because there'll be specific skills that are required to do this and they'll reside where they reside and you can't just shove everybody a little over yes. there and pay them less. Yes, I, I, I believe that's exactly it. Because if you look, a number of companies have gone for the cost model and found that it hasn't worked from compliance perspective, from quality perspective, and then decided to uh, recamp back to wherever, where they have the, the skills, both the skills and the uh, compliance quality uh, uh, assurance of the uh, products. I think this is where automation also can play a part. And in, in my mind, the future, there'll be more AI and automation involved. And technology, if developed appropriately, you could have something like your heart and lung machine or kidney dialysis machine doing all the uh, extraction of the relevant issues and doing the uh, transfection uh, or whatever, modifying the uh, your, your cells and then putting pumping it back in. Who knows? Maybe that's the future. And you don't need to uh, courier your samples to uh, an, uh, another facility for analysis and pump it, bring it back. I agree with that. There should, you should be able to uh, analyse samples in one part of the world and then, well, you can now, and then transmit the uh, data real time and go from there. AI, I think, is one thing. Absolutely, there's a place for AI. Automation, um, I think if you look at the biologic sector, uh, uh, automation has been used in certain fields over the years to uh, a variety of successes. I think there will be places where it can be, when there's a reproducible process uh, that can be very similar, uh, then automation of certain aspects of it, absolutely. But I think there'll still be a significant input uh, by skilled staff, which in reality brings me round to we talk about shortage of uh, on the supply chains. We talk about areas where um, geographical areas for manufacture. But in reality, what's happened over the over uh, the recent time with the explosion within the uh, pharma and in particular biologics field, uh, there has been skill shortages uh, identified. And I think there's three factors from my experience uh, that have really impacted. One being Brexit, uh, which with movement of staff due to perceived uncertainty of tenure of wherever. And so a number of people within the, most certainly within the UK, have uh, deemed to move on. Um, obviously, the pandemic uh, had a very uh, significant impact. And again, from experience, a lot of people wanted to move closer to friends, family, uh, and what was 
important to them. And therefore, there was a, an exit of qualified, trained staff and skilled staff within uh, the UK. And then far more so, uh, increased in demand for experienced, qualified staff with, with supply and demand uh, increase there. In fact, people's value uh, went up and staff moved around uh, within and without of the, of the UK. Situation is improving, but it will take time to stabilise. A number of initiatives uh, were started up, such as the apprentice initiatives within the BIA, um, who the apprentice scheme through through them, um, and that recognised both real and potential skill shortage and at all levels, not just at the, let me use the word operator or bench scientist level, but right the way through to supervisory, management uh, and aspects around uh, the business side of the uh, organisation as well, not just scientist side. So uh, uh, a, lot of, a lot of companies within the BIA network have been involved in uh, establishing the uh, apprentice scheme, which is beginning to fill some of the, the skill gap shortage. OK, let's just, um, just uh, cover off an area of particular interest to Pharma Ventures because we, we are transaction advisors. What, what's happening in the deal space? Janssen, maybe you can pick, pick up on this one. Yeah, the economic climate has not been very good for M&A. Whenever there's a concern or, or turmoil in the, in the economic situation, I mean, we had COVID and then there's a real uh, issue about recession hitting, inflation, uh, inflation is high, interest rates are high. So all those are is bad for M&A. In the last 12 months, uh, you know, we've seen a drop in transaction volumes, but, you know, multiples stay high for good businesses. So um, businesses that have uh, good technology are still commanding good valuations. Those businesses that have lower quality, for example, maybe find it hard to enter the M&A market because there might not be enough people willing to 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 risk uh, put their bets on them, as it were. You find that pharma services, in a way, are, are, are safer bets than biotechs because there's less risk. And you can see that a lot of PE houses are looking to acquire uh, CADMOs. Consolidation is still happening. The U.S. is still more expensive than the EU in terms of operating CDMOs. And from that point of view, we have increased interest from the U.S. for European operations because of their lower operating costs. So we might see more European deals happening going forward. A lot of the strategics are sitting on a lot of money, and and they would and many of them are considering using that cash to build their capacity and capabilities rather than going for M&A. So we, we see a lot of that. In fact, the Novo Nordisk example that I mentioned about their investment in Denmark is, is one such. And we have seen the likes of BMS and Charles River and Wuxi all expanding their capabilities because, you know, they've got cash to do so and it's a better use of their cash rather than um, punting on some acquisition where they are not entirely sure about the quality of the business. We've, we've talked a lot about wide-ranging areas here and cost and quality and challenges and and uh, associated areas. Perhaps we can, we can round up with... Um, if you were to focus in on the area of biggest opportunity for the, the CRO, CDMO, uh, drug supply spaces in the next five, ten years, where, where do you think that's going to be? Is it personalised medicine? Is, is, is it um, cost efficiencies? Is, let's go around the table and just, just get your succinct thought on that that we can end on. 
I think that it's from from my background, I think it's going to be in the ATMP and personalised medicine field. And I think it is getting efficiencies, uh, firstly skills into that area and efficiencies uh, to uh, be able to uh, produce rapidly to a high quality uh, that's acceptable by all regulators uh, and to be able to deliver what's required on time at cost. Frank, you had a big quality element to your your piece there. Uh, yeah, well, is that where you think I'll, it is? I'll just add to it because one of the big pushes of the regulators, the European and US in particular, in the last 10 years has been persuading the industry to adopt a clear code of risk reduction strategy to make sure that the product which reaches the consumer doesn't harm the consumer. And, and I, I think rather than expecting a knee-jerk reaction in the events of another pandemic or war event, that we, we, I, I really believe that we have to comprehensively assess risk to those key products and work out a strategy to provide continued supply of those products, either from large inventories or strategic manufacturing sites in these Western markets. So, so really, comprehensive and accepted, broadly accepted risk assessment being used as an everyday tool in this in this supply business. Janssen, last word? Yeah, consolidation will happen, and I think the big players who will have operations in the key territories will be able to provide the reliability that the governments and uh, the territories require. I think uh, that's bound to happen. Gentlemen, we've covered an awful lot of ground here. That's uh, been very, very insightful. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. For more information on other Pharma Ventures podcasts, go to www.pharmaventures.com forward slash podcast, where you can also subscribe. Pharma Ventures, the deal experts.